Good morning. How are you guys doing today? It's a beautiful day. It is nice to come up. We're blessed to be able to come up here every year. This is our seventh year now, actually. Um, this year we've got, we got a real small, uh, we've got a preschool, a church there and a preschool and a small elementary school. And this year we have four uh, sixth graders that have come up. Uh, we went uh, zip lining and uh, shooting at each other yesterday at the, at the uh, what do you call it, airsaw. So we've been having a lot of fun. But um, it's nice. It's warm. Get to wear shorts. It's snowing. Well, it snowed last week in, in Tokyo. So it's nice to get to the warm. You guys are probably cold. This is winter here, I know. But uh, <laughs> it's like, it's nice. Um, thank you for allowing me to come here and share with you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to uh, the book of Joshua. And um, since Joshua's giving the announcements, I thought Joshua would be a good book. But uh, um, I've entitled the message this morning, No Turning Back. And we'll be looking at um, chapters 3. We're going to read a lot today. Uh, We'll look at chapters 3 and 4. And just kind of the... um, well, before I get into it, why don't we pray? Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this morning. I pray that your word would uh, sink into our hearts. Our hearts be prepared as, as we've entered into uh, worship with you, Lord. And, and I just pray, Lord, that you'd minister to our hearts, that you'd convict where we need conviction and exhort where we need exhortation and encourage where we need encouragement and just move us to a place uh, closer to you, Lord. I pray that our, our, our fears would be melted away in your presence and that we would be filled with the faith uh, to follow you. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the background of what, picking up in chapter 3, uh, the nation of Israel, you guys are probably familiar with this, but the nation of Israel is, uh, was in Egypt and in bondage of Egypt, and God delivers them miraculously from the bondage of Egypt through the Red Sea with, the, with Moses as their leader, and they enter into a time in the wilderness uh, a long time, longer time than they should have in the wilderness. And God, and God then now, as we lead up into Joshua, of course, God's brought the, 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 those, the faithless die off and the next generation is there and ready to enter into the promised land. God calls Joshua as their leader, their next leader after Moses to bring, to bring the nation in. And as we get into um, chapter one and chapter two, kind of preparing Joshua for the, for the job that God has for him, and as we get into three and four, it's the actual entering, uh, going, fr- going across the next uh, body of water, the Jordan River. And that's what we're we'll going to be looking at and uh, how um, some of the things that happen and what God calls them, the nation, calls Joshua and then the nation to do uh, is really, I believe, applicable for us in this day and age as well. Again, we're going to read through the whole thing. So um, I'll, I'll read kind of fast to keep up with time so you guys don't get too hungry. But uh, Joshua chapter three. I'll start with the first four verses. It says, then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you've not passed this way before. So it <clears throat> starts off here, the congregation of Israel has moved to the border of the Jordan River. They camp there for three days, and then they're instructed to, it's simple instructions, right? Follow the ark. That's all you got to do, just follow the ark. But 
there was a little bit of a, a, a rule in a sense to stay a little, stay away. It says 2,000 cubits. 2,000 cubits is quite a ways, actually. It's almost, it's close to a kilometer away, or more than a mile away. And um, it tells us why they were told to stay back. They're told to stay back because you've never been here before. This is, new, this is new territory. You're going to a new place. And so keep some distance between, between the ark and yourselves, right? Um, these, these were, this is new territory, unfamiliar. They're strangers there. They, they leave the distance so that they would know where to go. The ark is going to be showing them where they were to go. Now, when they were in the wilderness, you guys are, I'm sure, familiar with this, but when they were in the wilderness, they had a pillar, uh, they had a cloud that led them, and then they had a pillar of fire that led them as well, right? It was quite, it was closer. It was more, it was easier to see probably at that time. This time, it was, it was way more obvious. This time's a little less obvious, but I believe it also, it's still God leading as he did through the wilderness, but I think it's also speaking of kind of slowing things down a little bit right now. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to I tend to want to do things quickly. I, I'm not good at slowing down. I'm actually really bad at slowing down. God, God, gracious, and he gives, me, he gives me opportunities to slow down, even though I tend to not uh, do it myself. Um, actually, sorry about this for the translator, but <laughs> a, a couple of years ago, we were, uh, we, Candace and I were in Hawaii, and uh, we were there with... Um, with uh, uh, some folks that we, uh, we're, from, we're originally from Hawaii, and we were there with some folks from the church, and we were having dinner, and, and um, uh, one of the guys, I hadn't seen him in a while, and he asked, hey, how can I pray for you personally? And I said, uh, I think I shared this with you guys last year, too, but I said, I said uh, you know, I, I've been working seven days a week, and I know I probably shouldn't be, and so I need, you know, if you can pray that I can kind of balance my schedule a little bit better, that would be good. He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for that, you know, and then uh, that was on a Monday, and then we were to leave Wednesday night. I shared at the church there, and I was feeling starting to feel sick. And then Thursday we left, um, and then we landed in, back in Japan on uh, on uh, Friday. And uh, I tested uh, positive for uh, Corona, and I ended up in the Corona Hotel they call them, and uh, and then the hospital. And so I was uh, laid out for like three weeks. And, I, and so I messaged the guy back while I was in the hospital. I was like, man, your prayers are very effective. You <laughs> know, God gave you God gave you a three week time of rest. But I think God, you know, he wants us to slow down and he wants us to simply follow him, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's really, we, we make things difficult sometimes, but actually God, it's pretty simple to be honest. He just wants us to follow him, you know. Remember what was in the ark. You had the, uh, the ark represented the presence of God, right? And you had the, um, the, the manna that was in there, the bread of life. You had the 10 commandments that was in there, the word of God. Of course, the manna and the 10, and the ten commandments both represent Jesus, our, the word and the bread of life himself, right? And so for us, just like for the Israelites here, for us, we're called to simply follow Jesus. That's what we are, you know, as Christians, we're Jesus followers is the, is the easiest way to explain that, right? And and God tells us how to follow him in uh, Psalm 119, verse 105. You guys may be familiar with this too. It's a, it's a pretty common verse. But Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word's a lamp unto our feet and a light to my path. Right, A, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I, I wish it was worded differently, honestly. I wish that it didn't say it like that. I wish that it said, uh, your word is a big, headlight that shows me far, far in, in, in the front, you know, because I'd, I'd like to know where I'm going personally, you know, but, but it, we're told that his word is a lamp into our feet. What that means is, and you've heard this before probably, but what that means is 
you know, simply it, it lights the next step, right? In some ways, that makes it very easy, right? Because you just look, okay, this is where I have to go, and you take one step. But you're not able to see three steps until you take one. Does that make sense? The, the, the word, God leads us through his word like that because he wants us just to be simple followers. We want to look ahead. We want to see what lies way ahead. But in reality, if we saw what lies ahead in our lives, we'd probably stop going because it would be scary because we're not prepared to be there yet. Right? And so in each step, when we look, when we take that each step, he's preparing us in the process to get us to where he wants us to be. Right? And so simply following the ark, simply following Jesus is what is the first step in, 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 in the walk with him. He just wants us to follow him and follow him simply, just to trust and believe that where he has us to go is where he wants us to be. Does that make sense? And he's, of course, going to be there because we're following him. So let's continue back in Joshua 3. He says in verses 5 and 6, says, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. So we're going to see, if you're a note taker, we're going to see four things that I think that God calls Joshua to call the people to do. And, uh, and we can take these four things and apply them, I believe, personally to our own lives as well. And the first thing that we see here in verses 5 and 6 is God's called Joshua to call the people to consecrate themselves or sanctify themselves. It depends on what, your, what version you have. And basically, that simply means to clean yourself or to purify yourself, right? They're about to cross the Jordan. They're about to enter into the promised land that God had given them and well, for us, in, um, if, we, if you're a, for a type, for us, the promised land, rep- a lot, sometimes people will say that the promised land represents heaven. I personally disagree with that. I think the promised land represents the spirit-filled, abundant life that God has for us here on this earth. And the reason I don't think it represents heaven is because there's the first thing they do when they get to the promised land is they start fighting. They're going to they're gonna fight in Jericho. They're going to fight all the ites. We'll read about it today, all these different ites, you know, the Canaanites and the, and the, the different ites. But anyway, but they, they're gonna, it, it's filled with war. And I don't think we're going to be fighting when we get to heaven personally. I, I, I believe it represents for us the Christian life, the Christian life here on this earth, walking with Christ. And so as, as believers, we once weren't believers, of course, and we were in Egypt, just like the Israelites were. We were, we were slaves to sin as they were slaves to, to Pharaoh and to Egypt there. And, and God miraculously delivered Israel, and God miraculously delivered us in, and, and saved us, right? That, that Red Sea uh, uh, crossing represents salvation for us, and, and then we... And then, Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps some of us have spent some time in the wilderness like the Israelites did, but now they're prepared. God's, God has them ready to enter into a, a, a close life with him, a pro, the promised life that he has. And I think that's what it, it represents for us. And so um, before we do that, before we're called to cross the Jordan, if you will, we're called to, like the Israelites, consecrate ourselves or sanctify ourselves. And I imagine for them, they already had what they were supposed to do in Exodus chapter 19, verse 14, in terms of sanctification. Exodus 19, it was pretty, pretty simple. It says that they were to, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. They basically, they basically laundered themselves, if you will, or they, they took a bath. You know? and, and it's a representation, a, you know, it's, a, it's a type, it's a showing of cleaning. You know? And so for us, 
before we're to enter into this abundant life, this spirit-filled life of following Christ, take a bath, you know, simple terms. Not a, not a physical bath, but clean, we need to be cleansed. And uh, how are we cleansed? I'm glad you asked that. It's in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. And, and when Paul talks to husbands and wives, actually, he says that in, in chapter 5, verse 26, he, tell, he says... Uh, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, the husband washing the wife, but he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. God's word is what sanctifies us. God's word is what uh, washes us and cleanses us and prepares us for the life that he has for us. You know, whether it be in your devotion, and I, and I encourage you if you don't have a, a, a daily devotional life to, to, to start because it's a, it's, it's a way in which God wants to cleanse. God wants to change you. God wants to take the world out of you and put the spirit into you. And, and you know, of course, gathering together on Sundays is great and, and having, um, you know, fellowship in the word other times throughout the week is great too, but also in your own, especially in your own devotional life. Just reading and, and, and see what God can do because that's what God does. He cleanses our hearts and he changes us and he gets us prepared for what he has for us. When, I, when Candace and I first got saved, we got, it's been a while now, we got saved in 1995 and um, um, I was a pretty bad guy before then and God radically saved us. He called us out of, uh, of a life of sin and, uh, and one of the greatest things that happened for us is that uh, the, the church that we got saved at actually had a radio station. And, and so we just turned our radio. The one, one of the greatest things we did when we first got saved was turn our radio dials to the Christian radio station. It's basically the word 24 hours a day. And so whenever we were in the car, we, we were constantly being fed the word. And uh, it really did wash us and really did cleanse us. And so I just encourage you to do that. Be cleansed. Of, of, of the world, get the world washed out of you and get filled with his spirit. And, and that'll give you the desire, I believe, to enter into a victorious and a spirit-filled Christian life. I, I challenge you, let it change you. If, you. if you haven't already, let the word change your life. Let's continue back in chapter three. So first we sanctify ourselves. And I'm gonna actually read, it's, it's quite a bit now, but I'm gonna read the rest of the chapter here. I'm gonna read from verse seven to 17. It says, and the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you've come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the water of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, <clears throat> the, city is, the city that is beside Zaratan. 
So the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over from dry ground, crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. So the first thing he does before he parts this, the river here is he calls them to sanctify themselves, to cleanse themselves. So they've all, they're all ready to go. And then the next thing is they got to go. <laughs> it's a simple, another simple step, but sometimes this is the hardest one, I think, for us sometimes, uh, for me personally. I'm not going to speak on your behalf anytime, but uh, for me personally, sometimes the hardest thing is to take the step. But God calls us to do that. He calls us to step out. He's already done this with Joshua. Right In chapter 1, a very famous birth, uh, verse in Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, uh, actually more than once in the chapter, but here in verse 9 he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, don't be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God's with you wherever you go. Right. So God's already, what we're going to see in this chapter is God's already done the work in Joshua. He's already encouraged Joshua as the leader, and Joshua is going to go do the same with the people now. And so now what, what God's already told Joshua, God, Joshua goes now and tells the people, hey, don't be afraid. God's with us. And notice many times, not just God, but the God, the God, the, the God over everything, right? He's going to lead us. Don't be afraid. And so he's, as God prepared Joshua to step out as the new leader, God then now uses Joshua to prepare the people to step out in faith and following God, um, He's putting steps here in chapter three. He, Joshua begins to put steps to his feet, as, uh, steps to his faith as he leads the nation, and God is with him and encouraging him all the way. You're going to see God numerous times in this chapter and the next, speaking to Joshua personally. He always wants to encourage our faith. God always wants to encourage our faith, but we are the ones who ultimately need to take the step. Right? God encourages us to take the step, but He doesn't lift our foot. We're the, we're the people that need to take that. We need to listen, take the step, and do what God calls us to do. It's interesting, you know, um, he's, he's going to be just like Moses. He's going to lead them across a body of water. The priests here are commanded, of course, to walk to the river and then touch the water this time. It's different than the Red Sea. It's different in, in a few ways, right? When you think of the Red Sea, the people were running from the enemy, right? Egypt was chasing them. They were after them, and they run, and they run into the Red Sea. There it is before them. What are we going to do? And God, God miraculously parts the Red Sea for them, running from the enemy. But, but with the Jordan River, they're actually running to the enemy. God's telling them, these are all the people that you're going to fight. These are all the people that I'm going to give you victory over. You're going to run towards them and fight them. Also, in, in the, with the Red Sea, Moses, God has Moses come before the sea and then lift up his uh, staff, right? And then God parts the sea and the people cross on dry land. But here he's called the, the uh, priests, the leaders there, to step out and actually get into the water before, um, before, they, uh, before, he, God, before they see God miraculously work. You know? And I, I think, again, with the Red Sea, it represents our deliverance from the enemy. We've run from the enemy. He's delivered us completely from the enemy. But then at the sting, you know, the, the penalty of our sin as, God's, as God, as we understand and we realize and we ask Jesus to come into our lives and be our savior, we're delivered from the penalty of sin. We're delivered from eternity separated from God, we're told, right? But then from that point forward, it's, it becomes a battle. It becomes a, a fight because before that, we were actually on the enemy's team, 
right? Before we come to Christ, we don't even, we're not even in a fight. It's, there's no spiritual warfare because we're on the enemy's team. But once God's delivered us and brought us onto his team, if you will, then the fight starts, actually. That's when we begin the actual spiritual warfare. And, when, and God calls us, I think, to step out. He wants us to take steps to see him work, right? We, we're part of his family. We're saved by his grace. And then now the rest is to trust him, to get our feet wet, to step out in faith, and to take risks and watch him work. There's enemies before us. There's struggles before us. There's trials before us. But God wants us to walk towards them in faith, knowing that he's the one that wants to deliver us. He's the one that wants to give us victory. You know, um, I probably, if you've been here bef- with me sharing before, you probably heard me say this, but uh, I, I believe that one of the gods, the god of uh, the first world anyway, uh, I, can only, I can only speak on behalf of two countries because I've only lived in two countries, but the, the god that I can see in, 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 uh, in the States and here too is the god of a smooth life. We, that's what we pursue. We pursue comfort. We pursue a nice and easy life, you know, and, and much of our life, go, much of our time right now is spent on trying to make sure either now is comfortable or the future is comfortable. And that's, we spend a lot of our waking time on that, do we not? And, and we, we're planning, you know, I, I want to get a nice car or I want a nice place to live. I want to have a, and, and, and some of them are very noble. I want, you know, make sure that my kids have a nice, you know, future and those kinds. They're not, they're not in and of themselves bad. But we're pursuing comfort when God would have us say, I want you to take risk on behalf of me. I want you to step out for me. Don't worry about the things. I mean, Jesus said it very plainly. Don't worry about the worldly things because I'm going to take care of you the whole time. You don't have to spend any moment worrying about those things because I'm going to provide all those things. Spend your time following me. Take, take, step out and take risks on, on behalf of me and see what I might do. Through you, I think that God wants to encourage us. God wants to challenge us to step out and take steps of, of faith, not comfort, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Amen. Let's continue. Let's move into chapter 4, and I'll read the first 14 verses. He says, And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the, pl- from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men who he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you, you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and the stones shall be for a mem- uh, these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they had lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, and the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. 
Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people and the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, the half tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war uh, crossed over before the Jordan for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. So first, he calls them uh, to consecrate themselves, to sanctify themselves. Then he calls them to step out. They've got to go into the water. Uh, and then it parts, and then, then the, the nation crosses uh, safely like they did with the Red Sea. And again, with us, I believe he, he calls us to sanctify ourselves first and then to take a take step. And then he's called, the third thing he calls them to do is to remember. Remember this moment, basically. One man from each of the 12 tribes was to go, while the, while the priests are standing there, right? They're standing there, the water stood up, the people are crossing. The, each, one person from each tribe is to, to go in the midst of the Jordan, the dry Jordan at this point, and pick up a big rock and to take that stone out. And then they were going to erect a, a monument, right? But Joshua, so they're going to erect a monument outside of the river. At the same time, Joshua is putting up a monument of 12 stones inside where the river was, right? Now, what purpose do these monuments serve? The one on the visible, the one that is visible is going to serve as a remembrance, right? They were to look at it and they were to remember God cut off the water here. Remember the work that God did. Again, I can't speak on behalf of you guys. I can only speak for myself, but oftentimes I can have very short memory when it comes to the Lord, you know, and he calls me to do something. He brings me to a a challenging place, and I fear. I get scared. And uh, the best way to melt away the fear, obviously, is to remember who it is that we're following, right? We're following the Lord. If I can look at him and I can see him, my fear melts. And, the, and one of the ways to, to be able to do that is to remember how faithful he's been. He's been so faithful in my life, and there's so many times in my life in which he's, been, he's come through, and it's like, whoa, how is that possible? But yet I can forget sometimes, right? I can forget oftentimes. So I want to encourage, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think you need to bring stones out and put them in your yard or anything like that, but, uh, but some points of remembrance in your life about when God does something in your life. Don't, don't be afraid to, you know, maybe journal if you're a journaler, write it down so that you can look back to it and be reminded of what God did. Take pictures, uh, you know, what, whatever it is that you can remind yourself, have a, a diary, a testimony you know, testimonies are so important, I believe. Not just testimonies of your salvation, but testimonies of God's work in your life. Uh, a while back, um, we, we, we do a, uh, at, at the church in Fuchu, we, do a, we don't have a midweek, we don't have a Wednesday, we do a Friday night fellowship. And we have dinner and we have a Bible study and stuff. And, we, and a while back, we changed the first Friday to what we call First Fruits Friday. And, we, um, and we, it's just a testimony, it's just a time of testimony. And basically, it's for anybody, anytime kind of thing. What's God doing in your life? What's God right now doing in your life? Because I, I, I try to encourage the people to be able to say, hey, because God's, I guarantee it, God's doing something in your life right now. And if we're conscious of it, then we can share about it. And also we can be reminded of it, right? And so, and when we share what God's doing or has done recently in our life, it encourages us, of course, strengthens our faith, but it also encourages those that are around us. Right? And, that's, and that's the purpose of these stones that are, are outside. These, the purpose of these stones are outside. We see it, actually. We'll read, I'll talk about it in just a moment. But when the kids come around and they see that and they say, hey, Dad, what are those stones for? 
Well, you know what that is? I'll tell you what that is. That's when God did this. God did this miraculous thing, right? Now, but what about the other 12? The 12 that Joshua sets up in the river, and then, of course, the priests, are, the priests walk off, and the river starts, boom, and the, and the stones are gone, you know? Well, they're there to this day, it says, but we don't, you know, they, we don't see them. What about those ones that aren't seen? You know, I was thinking about this. kind of strange, you know, when you think about it, but I was thinking, I think there's times where God works in our lives I mean, I, he's always at work in our lives for, you know, to build us up, obviously. Uh, but there's times where God wants us to share what's going on. He wants us to encourage others with the work that he's doing in our lives. And there's other times where this is for you. I just want, I just want to minister to you personally. You know, and God just wants to minister to our hearts. And we don't necessarily need to talk about it with anybody. It's just God ministering to us, you know, for, for, just for our encouragement or our or our exhortation, or our whatever he wants to do, you know? And, and I think about it, you know, I think about the two things that God's called the church to do. <clears throat> He's called us to, to publicly do two things, right? One is baptism. You guys are going to do it next month, right? Baptism is where we make a public de- declaration in front of everybody about the work that God's done in our life, right? We want everyone to know. It's a testimony of God's work. But the other one that we do, we do it together, but we do it personally, right? It's communion, right? We... we it's, it's a work that God's done for all of us, but it's a work that God's done for me. The work that Jesus did on the cross is for all of us, but it's personally for me. And we remember that work personally as we spend time taking communion together, kind of in that same sense as what we're seeing here with the stones, I think. Let's, uh, so let's go ahead and continue. I'll read the rest of the chapter, and then we'll be wrapping up. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, verse 15, saying, Command the priests who bear the Ark of the Testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of the Jericho. And, uh, and those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. That the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever." First of all, 15 and 16, may God, may that be, uh, I'm sorry, 15, 16, and 17, may that, may these verses be my life. He said, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, command the priests, brother, I can testimony to come up from the Jordan. Then Joshua therefore commanded the priests to, to, to come up from the Jordan. I, just whatever God says, I want to do. I, I hope that uh, when I die, that people remember me as a person that whatever God said, he did. I want to be a person that just follows whatever God says simply, you know, God gives us simple instruction. And Joshua's getting step-by-step instructions here, and he's just listening, and he's following, and he's doing what God tells him to do. And so he tells them, again, we see the purpose here, right, of the, of the stones outside. Oh, another purpose is to, for the next generation, to bring their faith to the next generation. And, and you know, I know moms and dads, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the most, that is, I would say, the most important responsibility you have with your children is to, is, to, is, to, is to bring the Lord to them, you know, to raise them up in the things of the Lord so that they might take that faith and make it their own, right? When they're little, 
when they're little, they're not, it's not their faith, it's your faith that they're following, right? And it's great that you bring them to Sunday school, and it's great that they hear messages, and they're, and they're playing with the other children, and they're hearing memory verses and all those things, but they're going to grab their personal faith from you. And as they watch you, their faith is going to, as they grow, and it's, it's a different age for each child, but when they grow up, they're going to grab, that, that faith is going to become personal for them. You know, and so don't, you know, please, I want to encourage you, don't be afraid, be, be, be bold in, in, in sharing with your children the things that God is doing in your life, the things that God has done in your life. Uh, even the struggles, I would say, of course, I mean, I know there's things that you keep from your kids, but, but even the struggles and the, and the trials and those things, share, don't be afraid to share because they'll see the reality of God in you. And when they see the reality of God in you, it gives them the ability to make that, that that faith decision on their own as they grow, as they grow into their own, you know, into their own person. And so important to be testifying to, to, uh, to the children. I mean, that's why we do, you know, that's why we have the schools actually. Uh, for us, the, the, we, they're not um, uh, discipleship schools, they're, they're mission schools. And so several of our children, most of them actually, are, are families that don't know the Lord. And uh, for us, it's just, you know, we're not, we're just trying to disciple them as kids, you know, they're in their houses, they're the, the you know, the enemy, I, I hate to say it like this, but the enemy rules their house in that sense, right? But we try to bring them to a place where they see the Lord at work in our lives, because there's nothing more important than that. So that hopefully that when they get older, you know, we're in a country, to be honest, I mean, Okinawa's maybe a little different, but in mainland Japan, the chance that a kid even hears the gospel is pretty small, to be honest. You know, there's, if, if, there's, if you get on a train with 400 people on the, in the car that you're in, which is probably how many there are, maybe more, there's maybe two people in there that are Christians. But if you take numbers, if you just take the, the odds, if you will. Uh, so the chance of them hearing the gospel is small. So we just want at least to give them a chance so that when they, when they get older, they have, they've heard the word of the Lord, they've heard the truth, and they, and they have a choice to make themselves. And, 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 but you guys as parents, it's great. It's a wonderful, your kids are in a special place because they get to hear the reality of the Lord and see the reality of the Lord in you. Now, finally, the last thing, the fourth thing that he tells uh, that, that I would say is the challenge for us is that there's no, no turning back. The title of the message, right? As soon as the priests step out of the riverbed, the waters go back to flood levels. There's no going back the other side. The people set up the stones, you know, and they do all of this. And then basically, when you look at chapter four, when you read chapter three and four, the event, the big thing usually is, wow, you know, God miraculously parted the Jordan River. Again, he parts, he parts another body of water so that the people can cross. Wow. But I think one of the big things that happens in this chapter is actually after they finish and they step back and boom, it goes back. It's like, well, you know, I guess there's no looking back now, right? Which is good in, in a lot of ways, right? I, I'm grateful for the closed doors that God gives because it doesn't make us kind of double-minded. We don't want to be double-minded and thinking, oh, I should have, ah, I should have, ah. you know, we want to step out and do what God calls us to do without, you know, without, without looking back, you know? We tend to have, I, I said I tend to have a short memory, but I also tend to have Wrong memory sometimes too, like the Israelites did, right? The people, think about the, the nation of Israel, they're slaves in Egypt, treacherous conditions, and then God miraculously delivers them. They see the plagues, they see the stuff that happens, 
right? They see the, the, uh, the um, Passover. They see that the God saves their children as, as the firstborn perish, the people of Egypt perish. They see all of these things happen. They're, they're delivered miraculously through the Red Sea. They get to the wilderness. It was kind of good back then, man. You know, we had food to eat and it was kind of nice, you know. This is what we, what we can't. Moses, you let us out here to die. They start complaining almost immediately, right? They're grumbling about their situation. It's like, and you, th- and you read that and you think, man, these guys are, what, what's wrong with you people, you know? But then I can be exactly the same. Soon complaining about the situation God has me in now and, and thinking as though back there was better. But it's never better. Even when it was good, it's not better because God has you where you are now. Where you are now is where God wants you to be. He doesn't want you to be back someplace. He wants you to be now. And a relationship with God is always forward moving. It's never back moving. Just, that's why the ark was in front of them. Jesus is in front of us. He wants to lead us forward. He doesn't want to lead us backwards. Actually, he said, right, if you've put your hands to the plow and you turn back, you're not worthy, he said. He wants us to move forward in our relationship with him. And, and God allows, by his grace, I think he allows situations, well, I ain't going back because I can't go back, right? <laughs> so I guess the challenge as I end today is, you know, you, the pro, again, the promised land is a place of a future with us, a, few, a, a walk with Jesus, a, 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 a spirit-filled, abundant life, uh, walking with Christ. But there's, but there's challenges because it's risk. It's, it's not knowing exactly what he wants for us. It's stepping out and, and taking risks. And so there's, there's, there's a bit of fear that comes sometimes. And so I, you know, are you, have you stepped to that point of no return? Or do you kind of keep, you know, you kind of keep the Jordan River open, keep one foot over there so that the, the river doesn't close. Where are you at with God? Are you playing it safe? Are you keeping ties to your old life? Are you keeping ties to your sinful ways? Do you, you have a, you know, something in your back pocket saying, well, in case this Christian life doesn't work out, you know, I can always go do this. The victorious Christian spirit-filled life is a life filled with promise and a life filled with a future. But the first step of conquering the promised land is, is leaving the old land, leaving the old land behind and leaving it behind for good. Cross the river and let there be no turning back. You know, there's a, a century ago, there was a story about these... Um, brave souls that were known as one-way missionaries. We have it kind of easy nowadays. You know, we can just get on an airplane. And I, we go back to Hawaii often, actually, uh, because we can. You know, but back, back in the day, they would, they, would, they would be called one-way missionaries because they were getting on a boat, and they were going somewhere, and they knew that they wouldn't come back. And so when they were saying goodbye to their families, they were saying, we'll see you in heaven, basically, because they knew that they weren't going to be back. And so they would actually, some of them, you've heard this before probably, but some of them, they would actually, instead of suitcases, they would bring their coffins. And they would pack their coffins with their stuff to go on the mission field. And, and basically, that, this is what I'm going to be, this is all I got. I've got my, my, I've got my clothes and I've got my coffin, basically, right? And they, would, and they would sail out of port, they wave goodbye, and their goodbye would be for good until, of course, until they're home in heaven. But um, there was a guy by the name of A.W. Milne, and he was one of these missionaries. And he set sail for the South Pacific, and he was going, he, he knew who, who he was going to, to, to share the gospel with. They were, it, was a, it was an island of headhunters. And, and they had, there had been missionaries that had gone there before. And every missionary that had ever gone there had been martyred. They had been killed. But still, he understood that God was calling him there. And so he went. And uh, he didn't fear for his life because he had already died to himself. And so he went. 
And his coffin was packed, and he's there for 35 years. And he lived among these guys, and he loved them. And when he died, they actually, the tribe actually buried him in the center of, the tri- of, their, of their land. They buried him in the center, and they made, a, they made a tombstone. And on the tombstone, they wrote, when he came, there was no light, and when he left, there was no darkness. When, my, I end with this. When, when did we start believing, when did any of us start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. Jesus died to make us dangerous. Jesus died to, to, to make us risk takers. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. And I, it's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have called us. You've called us out of our lives of sin. You've delivered us. You've given us eternal life. Lord, and, and may all of us, I, I, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, may we all desire to serve you, not just to be believers, but to be Christ followers, Lord. I pray that you would uh, sanctify us by your word, that you would cleanse us. I pray, Lord, that uh, you, as you call us, like you did Joshua, as you call us, I pray that we would simply respond and take each step, uh, one step at a time as you lead us, Lord, just simply obeying. But I pray that we would step out no matter what the risk might be, no matter what, the, what the, uh, the costs might be, Lord. I pray that we would step out in faith when you call us to do so. Lord, I pray that we would remember uh, your faithfulness and uh, your provision and all of the things that you've done in our lives that up to this point where you've brought us. And uh, Lord, I, and I also pray, Lord, that we would, that we would, we would step to places with, uh, with the idea, with the mindset that there's no return. We're, we're, we're all in for you, Lord. And we know that there's no better place to be, Lord. So I just pray that you would encourage those that are here this morning to just step out and live for you, Lord, and, and see you work, Lord. And I pray for an abundant uh, uh, harvest as a result of that, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you guys.